Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your Threat Intel Briefing for the week of March 26, 2023 through April 1st, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you as it's released. And if you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe on there and leave us a review. Let us know if you enjoyed the show, if there's anything else that you want to hear about, and really just any kind of other content that you want to talk about or hear us talk about. Also, check out the description because there is a link to the show notes where you can check out the articles that we talk about, as well as some of the other articles that are important that happened throughout the week, but we just didn't have enough time to get to them. So that'll be on my website, johngood.com. And again, the link to that will be in the show notes. Without any further delay, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the first article. So first article is going to be UK bans TikTok from government mobile phones. Shocker, right? I know. Britain is to ban the Chinese-owned video sharing app TikTok from ministers and civil servants' mobile phones, bringing the UK in line with the US and the European Commission and reflecting deteriorating relationships with Beijing. The decision marks a sharp U-turn from the UK's previous position. came a few hours after TikTok said its owner, ByteDance, had been told by Washington to sell the app or face a possible ban in the country. The decision follows a review of TikTok by government cybersecurity experts. It began in November, Dowden said, and will cover ministers and civil servants' work phones, but not their personal phones. This is a proportionate move based on a specific risk with government devices, he added. So if you're not familiar with what's been happening with TikTok, basically the idea here is that the parent company is basically a Chinese company. Right, So they have relationships with the Chinese government and there is a ton of fear about what kind of data could be shared with the Chinese government. So, especially with like government workers in this case, and we've seen this in the United States government and some other places are starting to kind of follow suit, but governments are starting to ban the use of TikTok on their official devices specifically. Now, will we see that kind of escalate and go to their personal devices because of them being public figures and elected officials and things like that? I mean, we could, right? It's possible. But right now, it's mainly been talking about in reference to their government-owned devices. Now, think about that, right? Just as far as like a company, not even a country, what kinds of applications or uses are you going to allow your users or your employees to actually do on their corporate devices, right? Their company-owned devices. Are you going to allow them to use them as their own, right? There's a few different models like BYOD, bring your own device, and some of these other models that exist as far as deploying devices that you can use on the go or mobile devices. But what is your position on that in your company, right? Not just your country. Obviously the country government that is basically a company right? So it is kind of similar, but they do deal with a little bit more sensitive kind of information depending on who they are, right? Consider a top government official like a president, right? Or a minister of defense or something like that, right? Those kinds of titles, you know, 
think about the information that they're exposed to or that potentially they could be exposed to just because of their position, right? It's a sensitive position in a lot of cases. They're seeing things that are not released to the public and should not be released to the public. And so that's a really important consideration. And TikTok, I mean, TikTok continues to be in the news. They continue to be in a world of hurt. And just this kind of downward spiral of their business model, right? For a while, TikTok was going great. They thought they had it all, right? With their, their stories and their short clips and all that stuff. And, you know, now it's just, it's showing to be a problem, right? And they are just not doing a good job of showing that kind of separation from their parent company, from the Chinese government, and what they're trying to do within their, their company. And we've seen instances too where it just muddies the waters, right? Like with employees spying on people or collecting data on specific people. It just doesn't look good, right? Like it's, I'm afraid TikTok might be on their way out as far as a major player, right? Probably gonna be other competitors because especially with TikTok kind of getting pushed out, you know, that's typically when a lot of other players come into it and they start creating different apps or services and they try to correct or not commit the same kind of issues or have the same kind of problems as predecessors, right? And then you can be successful. Look at Facebook, right? Before Facebook, we had things like MySpace and all these other platforms, Zanga and like, you know, all these other things. And Facebook ended up winning because they were able to capitalize on some of the mistakes of these other companies and really run a lot faster than those companies could. So really important uh, consideration overall and kind of issue that's not going away, right? And you're a big company, you might be concerned with people using TikTok. Are you gonna let your CEO use TikTok? You know, maybe not. Maybe if you're a, especially a defense kind of company or some kind of company that makes like satellites, something that's dual use, you're probably less likely to allow your high, uh, high profile employees like your CEO to continue to use TikTok, especially on their corporate devices, right? So we will see. Our next article, Panera Bread will use palm scanning technology for its loyalty program. So this one's a really interesting one. Panera Bread is rolling out palm scanners that will link customers' handprints to their loyalty accounts, a move the company paints as convenient that privacy advocates have decried. Biometric gathering technology developed by Amazon will hit stores the next few months, Panera said on Wednesday. Gadgets will help su suggest menu items based on customers' order histories allow employees to greet customers by their name and share customers' available rewards, the company said. Narabred CEO Niran uh, Chadhari described the move as a frictionless, personalized, and convenient evolution of Panera's lo loyalty program, which boasts 52 million members. Panera says the technology will securely store its customers' biometric data. However, digital rights activists worry that information could be tapped by federal agencies or accessed by hackers. So I think that's always a concern, right? A company that is creating an application or service, especially in today's world, right? What kind of information can the federal agencies or the government tap into in those uh, companies? Going back to TikTok, right? 
the Chinese government, can they see into TikTok's data? We're not going to get into that one, but that's the idea, right? And what kind of agreements do these companies have with government, with federal agencies, right? So that's one concern for sure. But also, if you're storing biometric data, biometric data on people cannot be changed, right? So my palm scan, that's not going to change. My fingerprints are not going to change, right? Sometimes certain body features or biometric features, they will kind of evolve over time. Like, for instance, your voice, right? Like how deep your voice is or how high pitch your voice is, right? Those kinds of things probably will change over most people's lifetime right? Whether that's going deeper, I, I think typically it's probably going a little bit deeper, not being as high pitched. But, you know, that's an example, right? But there are certain features that are not going to change. And so that's, you know, a real concern, right? Something like your, your fingerprint. What if a hacker can get that and that's not going to change over time? And then that starts being used for other features or other services outside of just like Panera right? Or maybe other companies use that same technology that Panera is going to use by Amazon. And then you can take that fingerprint and go use that at that, at that company, right? Like for that service or application. So there's all kinds of, you know, implications that go along with this and concerns. I personally think that a company like, you know, a fast food restaurant or I don't know if Panera is considered like, uh, what is that, like um, fast luxury dining or something. There's some kind of term for it, something like Chipotle, where it's a little bit different. But anyways, right, you know, a company like that, is that reasonable that they can hold that kind of information? You know, from a regulation and a legislation standpoint, is that reasonable, right? Obviously, we have things like HIPAA, right, that protect a lot of that information, those kind of features, right? And there's certain restrictions and ways that you have to protect that kind of data because it's important, right? But should a company like that be able to store that type of data or take in that kind of data, right? Are they going to be secure? Are they gonna get hacked? We see companies all the time that should be secure that are getting breached. And basically, you know, every company is gonna get breached it's just a matter of, you know, when, not if. And, you know, that's, that's a step up on sensitivity of data, right? It's not just an email. It's not just a record number. It is literally your biometric data. So that, that has me concerned, right? Like I, I don't think that I trust a company like that, right? that is just a general population kind of company or service op, uh, provider, I don't think I trust them with that kind of data, right? It's just, especially when you start getting into retail, the retail side of things, like, ah, there's just, there's just so much more that could go wrong so much quicker. Like if you go to their, their POS systems, right? Cause that's where they're gonna take the scans, right? What? Ah, that just opens up the door to so many issues, right? What if somebody can go install, like instead of a skimmer, a biometric palm scanner reader that's going to skim your fingerprints or skim your palm, uh, your palm, right? 
ah, that's just, there's so many issues wrong with this. Like, I just see so many bad things coming from this. So we'll see though, right? You know, like a lot of things, we'll see. <laughs> UK National Crime Agency reveals it ran fake DDoS for hire sites to collect users' data. Britain's National Crime Agency, the NCA, revealed on Friday of last week, so not this past Friday, but the previous one, that it had set up a number of fake DDoS for hire sites to infiltrate the criminal online criminal underground. It said that users who registered for their sites were not given access to cybercrime tools, but instead had their data collated by investigators. Sweet. DDoS, or distributed denial of service attacks, are amongst the least sophisticated forms of criminal cyber mischief. The attacks, which overwhelm network resources with traffic to effectively take them down, are incapable of stealing or modifying data on the victim server. Basically, what these attacks do is they just they overload these systems, right? So instead of a denial of service attack, which is typically one system attacking another system, this is a whole bunch of systems that would attack a single system or victim or target or maybe a couple, but you know maybe a million nodes attacking one system. You, can, you kind of get the idea of how that overloads that server. According to the NCA, the fake sites have, been far, have so far been accessed by several, hundred, several thousands of people. One of them was replaced Friday with a splash page warning that the NCA, alongside the Dutch police, the Plotai, uh, and the German, German police, I'm not sure how to say that, that uh, term, had created and controlled the site. So we see this a lot with dark web sites, which dark web sites are basically where a lot of malicious activity can happen, where things like drugs or just illegal activity is sold, right? Especially like with this DDoS for hire, we've seen that a lot with malicious software where you can go sign up for a service or ransomware for hire. You know, the, all these kinds of services have been popping up where you can very easily just go kind of rent those services. And this is just another example of that, right? They're trying to create a honeypot website or kind of this fishing hole where, uh, where these attackers who are interested in going and signing up for these kinds of services or renting these services, they're going, trying to find these sites and then they're going and signing up because they want to use that service, right? They wanna attack somebody. And this is pretty standard stuff, right? This is kind of like a bait site. Like a, uh, you see like bait cars with police where they set up a car in like a, a very high crime area and they just wait for somebody to try to steal it and then they come in and arrest them, right? We see that all the time. Same kind of idea. I'm not sure what they're gonna do with that data because it sounds like they're collecting that data probably to build bigger cases against certain people. And I doubt they just collected this data and immediately went and started arresting people, right? But we've also seen not just these uh, government set up sites, we've seen actual dark web platforms and sites like this that have been taking, taken over by the governments. And then they just turn them that way, right? So instead of actually last week, we talked about breach forms, which was an example right, where this platform was taken and then the government agencies, the law enforcement could just turn over, take over that platform and just watch what's happening, collect data on people, see who's interacting on the website, right? So it's not really that surprising that this has happened. Frankly, it's probably happened a lot more than just this one article, right? 
where they've literally gone and set up a phony website just to collect data, right? So pretty interesting though, right? Whenever we see this, just it's, you know, it's interesting because government and law enforcement, typically a lot of times they are one step behind the most advanced or sophisticated kind of groups or attackers, but they do learn from those incidents or those examples, and they then take you know different steps to try to combat that. Frankly, I kudos to them, right? Like I think that's awesome. That's that's it's really a game theory kind of thing, right? So always trying to beat the hackers. Next article: How hackers took over Linus Tech Tips. Have you heard about this YouTube channel? YouTube channel Linus Tech Tips and two other Linus Media Group YouTube channels have been restored after a major hack allowed a bad actor to do things like live stream, crypto scam videos, change channel names, and even delete videos. In a new video, owner Sebastian explains the breach bypassed things like password and two-factor protections because the bad actor targeted the session tokens that keep you logged into websites. According to Sebastian, someone on the Linus Media Group's team downloaded what appeared to be the sponsorship offer from a potential partner and launched the included PDF with the terms of that offer. But Sebastian says the offer actually included malware that accessed all user data from both their installed browsers, including session tokens, which effectively gave the, gave the bad actor an exact copy of the browsers that they could export and use to wreak havoc without needing to enter security credentials. So I'm not sure if you've heard about this scam, this scheme that's going on, these attacks. I've seen it for a little bit now. I've seen other prominent channels that I, I watch and um, they have fallen victim to this as well, right? I'm talking channels with a million plus subscribers, right? So substantial channels. I mean, obviously Linus Tech Tips has a lot more than that, right? Especially over several channels. But basically what's happening on a lot of these from a high level, right? is that these attackers, so they're taking the session cookies or they're going after session cookies and they're going after users, right? Owners of channels. But basically um, the session tokens, right? So kind of to step back, session tokens are used because those track your ability to be logged into a website. So if I go to a website like YouTube and I log in, I'm given a session token, a cookie, and that tracks that I'm logged in, right? A lot of times these are stored on your browser and then that is exchanged with the server or validated with the server to show that I am logged in as user XYZ, right? That's effectively what a token is. Typically they last for so long, you know, a certain time frame, whether that's a day, a week, a month, whatever, right? It's not something that I would personally set on my end, right? It'd be set up on the server and so then when it expires, then you have to re-log in and get a new token, right? So that's why if you close your browser, but it's still logged in when you go back to it, that's kind of what's happening. And effectively what's happening in these, right? So when they take over these channels, they are renaming them to things like Tesla official or, you know, something like that. In a lot of cases, that's the ones that I've seen. And they are putting up videos of, uh, well, with the Tesla official ones, they're putting up videos with like Elon Musk, or I think Jack Dorsey was in another one, which was the former head of Tesla, or uh, not Tesla, but Twitter, 
And mid video, mid this live stream, which my understanding was this was an actual live stream, right? This was an actual, a real thing. But then in the middle of that, there's kind of an ad embedded or an ad inserted that talks about donating like cryptocurrency or Bitcoin to this specific wallet. And it gives like the, the QR code or the address for it. And they're trying to get people to give cryptocurrency to that wallet, right? On the ones that I've seen, uh, the channels that I've seen happen, typically I have seen them not deleting videos. It doesn't mean that's not happening. One of the channels that I even saw, they had a video that was scheduled, right, to come out. This channel got taken over. That video is still launched. The legitimate video for that, that channel, that owner, it launched, it published, but it, then it looked like it was on the Tesla official channel, right? Like super weird, but you know, think about that, right? Your brand, your company, right? A YouTube channel in this case is able to be taken over by some attacker relatively easily, right? Like this is not a super sophisticated attack. You know, it's not like the easiest thing necessarily, but you know, it's not the most complicated. It's not the most sophisticated, but you can take over a channel that has millions and millions of subscribers that realistically per year is generating millions of dollars, right? Like Linus Tech Tips on his main channel, that is generating a ton of cash flow, right? From YouTube ads, from ads from sponsors, from product ads, like whatever, right? Like all this stuff, super chats. That's just so like from a content creation standpoint, a creator standpoint, that's scary, right? All that effort that you put into your channel and then it turns into that work and get taken over. So it's, it's pretty concerning, right? Especially if you have other people that are connected to your account where they have permissions to modify things or do anything like that. And an attacker can not only not go after the main person, but go after one of these other managers, right? It's just, it's scary. So, but definitely check that out. There's a lot of videos that are explaining that as far as how the attack happened and more detailed information about that process. But be on the lookout, especially if you're a content creator, right? Biden administration limits commercial spyware use in federal government. President Joe Biden signed an executive order Monday it bans federal agencies from using commercial spyware that could pose security risks to the U.S. or already has been misused by foreign actors. Are we talking about Pegasus? <laughs> the executive order, which has been develop, uh, in development for months, seeks to address a growing number of incidents of spyware abuse abroad, as well as reports of it being used improperly to target U.S. officials, government systems, and ordinary citizens. The directive is the first in a series of actions by the White House to deal with the pro proliferation of virtual spyware in recent years. Industry has grown as more companies develop ways to quietly infiltrate people's devices and market those tools to governments around the globe. Misuse of the powerful surveillance tools have, been not, have not been limited to authoritarian, authoritarian, authoritarian regimes, the officials added. Democratic governments have also been confronted with revelations that attackers or actors within their own, own system use commercial spyware to target their own citizens 
without proper legal authorization, safeguard and safeguards and over and oversight. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see this article, right? Like there's been a ton of news and information about spying from every government, right? Let's be honest. We've seen a lot of governments talking about spying or you know, had leaks talking about that they're spying on people, right? We're not going to get into which governments. You can definitely find out which ones if you just do a quick Google search. But I got news for you. It's been pretty much all of them, right? All the ones that are capable. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we've talked about Pegasus a lot on this channel, especially on these news segments, on these threat intel briefings. And... You know, it's interesting to see them call it out. I hope that this is a good step towards, you know, really cracking down on spyware and kind of these illegal kinds of activities or really targeted activities, right? But, you know, it's just, it's, it's just interesting to see it, right? <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, We'll see what happens with this. I, I love to see some of the debates around this, right? Because you know that there's gonna be some debates against this kind of strategy within, especially like in the US, within our Senate and our House of Representatives. And I'm sure there's gonna be all kinds of, you know, debates and sides to the story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see this kind of article coming out. So we will see. Microsoft announces generative AI security copilot. Microsoft today announced at its uh, AI security copilot. So this was on the 29th, a G, uh, GPT-4 implementation that brings generative AI capabilities to its in-house security suite and features a host of new virtualization and analysis functions. AI security copilot's basic interface is similar to the chatbot functionality familiar to generative AI users. It can be used in the same way to answer security questions in a natural manner, but the more impressive features stem from its tight integration with Microsoft's existing security products, including Defender, Sentinel, Intra, Purview, Priva, and Intune. Copilot can interpret data from all those security products and provide automated in-depth explanations, including virtual visualizations, as well as suggested remedies. Further, uh, furthermore, the system will have the ability to take action against kinds of threat, some kinds of threats, leading email messages that contain malicious content identified by previous anal analysts, analysis. For example, Microsoft said that it has plans to expand security copilots and activity options beyond the company's own products, but did not offer any further details on a live stream an official blog post detailing the product. So we've talked a lot about ChatGPT, ChatGPT, artificial intelligence, all these different products, right? It's interesting to see it starting to get implemented into security products. I think that's kind of the way we're going, right? Because especially on the security side, we're all about how can we automate things and get useful decision-making information, right? Quickly and efficiently in a very easy to understand platform. You know, we can bring in a lot of data. 
a lot of data is not necessarily the problem. The problem is how can we make sense of that data and use it quickly and efficiently, right? So we're very effective with what we're doing. And that's kind of been the issue with artificial intelligence and continues to kind of plague us, right? To haunt us because we're still trying to figure that out. But it's great to see Microsoft trying to actually do that. And I'd love to see kind of the evolution of this over the years, right? In 10, 20, 30 years, I think we're gonna be really far ahead of where we're at now. And hopefully in a really, really good spot using it, especially for security. But we're not quite there yet, right? So we'll see. Millions of pen tests show company security postures are getting worse. The risk score for the average company worsened in the past year. Companies fail to ad adapt to data exfiltration techniques and adequately protect web applications. Companies effective data exfiltration risk increased to 44 out of 100, with 100 indicating having the risk riskiest posture in 2022, from an average score of 30 in the previous year, indicating the overall risk of data being compromised has increased. Now that's according to rankings by Simulate, which crunched the data on 1 million pen tests, including 1.7 million hours of offensive cybersecurity testing within its production environments. In its 2022 State of Cybersecurity Effectiveness report published on March 28th, the firm noted that there are various persistent problems leading to increased risk. For one, while many companies are improving their adoption and the strictness of network and group policies, attackers with adapting attackers are adapting to sidestep such protections, the report said. And the basic, basics continue to lag. The company found that four of the top 10 CVEs identified in customer environments were more than two years old. So we've talked a lot about dated CVEs, which are basically vulnerabilities, right? So if you have a vulnerability that is two years old, you know, that's crazy to me, right? You shouldn't have something that's two years old. Now, granted, in organizations, in your vulnerability management program, you're going to have different frequencies or different SLAs based on the criticality of that vulnerability, right? So if I have a vulnerability that's rated critical, I might say in my company, that has to be fixed within seven days or 14 days, right? Typically, those are pretty common timeframes. Maybe my high vulnerabilities are 30 days, right? Maybe my medium are 60 days. Maybe my low, I just don't fix. Or maybe there are 90 days or 180 days or something, right? So you're going to have that kind of cascading effect, that lower time frame for lower uh, risk vulnerabilities. That's very common. Two years will never be on that timeline, <laughs> right? I would never put two years for remediation for any kind of vulnerability on that timeline. That's ridiculous. But we see that happen in companies, right? They're just not effectively able to patch or correct these vulnerabilities. Now, some of that can come down to just not tracking your vulnerabilities effectively, right? Totally. That's totally possible. But, you know, you should probably start working on really old vulnerabilities, right? Right? Especially when you prioritize them because you're going to do it based on criticality. But then you should do it also based on date, right? Again, no reason for that whatsoever. You have to take care of the basics first, right? If you're not taking care of the basics within your environment, then what's the point, right? 
you're not doing basic things, basic security, then why even go to work? You're just collecting a check, really not doing much work. So yeah, it's, it's not great to see that score going up, increasing. And a company like Simulate with this report, report you know, they have access to a lot of different networks and they see a lot of different organizations. So it, it's, you know, it's relevant information for sure. It's not like they're a small mom and pops uh, company that has like five clients and they're trying to generalize that across the spectrum. So yeah, we, we need to see this improve quite a bit. Twitter takes down source code leaked online, hunts for downloaders. Twitter's taking down internal source code for its platforms, uh, platform and tools that was leaked on GitHub for months. Now it's using subpoenas to search for who leaked that data and downloaded its code. The Friday GitHub compiled with a DMCA infringement notice issued by Twitter because the, tweet, uh, the leak exposed proprietary, proprietary source code and internal, and internal tools, which could pose a security risk to Twitter. According to DMCA notice, the leak came from someone who using the handle free speech enthusiast, a clear reference to Elon Musk's calling himself a free speech uh, absolute, absolutist and suggesting that they were a disgruntled Twitter employee. According to a report, report from the New York Times, it's unclear when the code was leaked, but the publication says that it appeared to have been public for at least several months. So, you know, the big thing with this, think about when you're in a company, right? And your data gets leaked, your tools get leaked. How do you respond to that, right? We see this happen all the time from a lot of different companies, from governments, you know, across the spectrum. How do you respond to that? What do you do in response to that? How do you know if it's legitimate, right? What kind of open source intelligence are you doing on your, on your, on your own company? identify you know data out in the wild right do you have a reporting procedure if an employee happens to see that data that they know is internal data is leaked somewhere right especially a company like twitter who deals a lot with software and code development you know they're going to use github if not internally they're going to use it in their personal life and so it's you know how do you go about that whole process and then how do you respond to that? How do you interact with law enforcement and subpoenas and all kinds of stuff, right? So just something to consider in your incident response process, right? And just how do you go about that? So we're going to wrap it up for this week with that article. Again, this was your threat intel briefing for the week of March 26, 2023 through April 1st, 2023. I'm your host, John Good. If you're listening on, on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, rather, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Check out the description because there is a link to the show notes. We can see the articles that we talked about, as well as some other articles. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the week. I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.